Welcome to the Next Chapter Podcast. Whether you were going from high school to college, from college to the real world, from nine to five to entrepreneur, or literally anything in between, we are here to help you turn the page from dreams to reality. Welcome back, everybody, to the Next Chapter Podcast, where we help turn the page from dreams to reality. Today, we're going to be talking about Chapter 2 of the book. You want to start us off? Absolutely. So, Chapter 2, Rule Number 2, is treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. And I love the way the chapter starts off by talking about um, taking care of yourself with pills and how a third of the people who get uh, prescribed with pills to take care of themselves and to live a more healthy life don't even take the pills. They don't even get them filled. And Half of those people that actually take them don't take them consistently. Um, it's very common like for people that are in need of help or their health is declining. They don't really prioritize their own health and taking care of themselves. Whereas the book also mentions if your dog is sick, you immediately take them to the vet, immediately fill up any prescription, you get them extra stuff, and you always take care of them. And Jordan Peterson was basically saying, like, your dog loves you too. Like your dog wants what's best for you. Like why not take care of yourself? Like you're taking care of your dog. Why are you not taking care of yourself? Like you are taking care of someone else. Yeah. I mean, I'm guilty of that too. Unless it's antibiotics, I will not take any medication. Um, I think it relates to a lot of people. Maybe they're doubters and what it will do for them. Mm -hmm. But uh, Jordan Peterson ultimately goes on this long story about Adam and Eve and well first what would you say to someone else like if you only take antibiotics well if your like friend or your brother was sick would you tell them to take something or would you just be like ah no you're fine no I would for example when Ricky broke his shoulder from a skiing accident I'm not wearing my sling that's just how he was I don't want to look weird wearing his sling (laughs) I don't want to look beta and then I'm like bro just wear your sling like Mm -hmm. it's gonna heal you it's gonna keep things straight so Things can align properly, and he was just not having it. Yeah. If I broke my shoulder, he means tore my rotator cuff. <laughs> okay. Um, continuing <laughs> on. I think I think it's just more than application of medicine. I think you don't take care of yourself the way you would want someone else to take care of yourself. So further than, applica- or further than medication, it's... You don't do things that you know are good for you, even though you should be doing them, but you would tell someone else to do the same. What's another example? So like reading or something, something basic or eating. I'm really bad at this one. I would tell someone like you need to be eating all the time. You go to the gym. You want to eat to get muscle. You need to be taking this much protein. But I eat like two meals a day Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm always so bad with my eating because I see it as such a hassle. But, like, if I was someone else, I'd be like, dude, what are you doing? Eat. Like, go downstairs. Get some food. So that's something that I know I'm really bad with. And it's just in general that you don't take care of yourselves the way you want someone else to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. There's something I heard before. I think it was from Jay Shetty. He said, like, a good way to encourage someone to be healthier, happier is to tell them, like, do something that makes you happy today. Like, do something that brings you joy. And... I like saying that, or I like thinking that, like, if someone's down, like, saying that to them, like, it makes sense. Like, if someone is in a bad spot mentally, physically, like, tell them, like, do something that makes you happy today. Like, do something just for you. And it could be reading a book. It could be watching your favorite TV show, going for a walk, whatever. Like, do something intentionally, even if it's 10 minutes for you. 
there's oftentimes like in the day like i don't even do that for myself like i could be like stressed out doing all this stuff and then be like well i didn't even live up to like what i want to tell other people so mm-hmm. it's a good it's a really good example really good rule that what do you tell other people that you're not even doing yourself because it's probably pretty common yeah it definitely is really common why do you think that is though why do you think we are so inclined to help someone else or want to see someone else doing so much better but we don't do it for ourselves he talks about western societies being very altruistic which for example in the animal kingdom if there is a frog that's about to get attacked by a snake and all the other frogs are hiding um, but he sees the snake it'll rib it and let the other frogs know that he's there so they can all get away but it puts him in harm's way So altruism is when you do something beneficial, but harm yourself in the process. And I think as a society, that's what we value, altruism. And we place that on a pedestal so people want to be put in a position where they look higher in other people's eyes. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot of ego, too. Like, people want to be seen as the hero, tough guy. Like, that's very glamorized to an extent. I think, like, people don't want to say like hey i'm struggling with this i have an issue and like be vulnerable and try to find ways to help themselves um but then when someone else wants help they're like oh i'm gonna save the day i'm gonna help you um it could be out of like good you know intentions um but i think a lot of people they just have an ego attached to it saying i can't be struggling like i don't want people to think i'm struggling but i want to help other people yeah i think it also goes into the idea of how you want people to perceive you like along with that ego, you care more about how other people perceive you than how you perceive yourself. You don't want other people to see that struggle that you're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but do frogs care about how other frogs perceive them? Oh. Or is this just something that's innately in us where we value others above ourselves? Well, let's just say that it's their offspring they're signaling to. The whole definition of fitness in ecology is your ability for your to reproduce and your offspring to then reproduce themselves. So they increase their fitness by having their offspring survive. So it could be in good help of someone else in the frog example. But do you think that innately we place the value of other people above the value of ourselves and that's why we're so inclined to help someone else and not help ourselves? 100%. I don't know. Because, like, looking back, I feel like we lived in a very barbaric society. Like, everybody just, like, killed, and it was, like, very self-centered. But then there was, obviously, a transition to, like, more modern day where you have to care for a family, you care for other people. So I don't know if it's, like, innately, but I think it's over time people have adapted to that kind of mindset. I He even talked about it in this book, actually. It was the difference between a predator and being a human. In a predator, all you know is innateness and your reactions toward whatever situation you're in via the fight or flight response. If you need to hunt to kill something, that's what you'll do. But the difference between a predator and a human is humans are conscious of their actions and they're conscious of other people and they're conscious of themselves. So I think it's a lot more evolved in saying that it's an innate process. I think it's something we've developed. And in the book he talks, or in this chapter specifically, he references the Bible a lot. And it's just one big biblical reference to the Garden of Eden and the story of um, Genesis. The story of Genesis. 
with Adam and Eve, what is the significance in just referencing those two people? I think just to show how imperfect we are and how much blame we put on ourselves because of sin and mistakes. <clears throat> I think it was a, it just kind of set the tone for how we view ourselves today because everybody carries a burden. We carry a burden from generations in the past. It just keeps passing down because mistakes continue to happen. That's how humans were intended after that happened um, with Adam and Eve. And I think it just shows like when that instance happened, they eat the fruit and God's asked them like, why they're like already trying to make excuses and try to figure out like what's wrong with them. Like, Oh wow. Like I'm naked. Like what is going on in the world? And there's all this shame. There's all this like guilt. And um, that's just how humans were created after that. So now it's like, if you can't be perfect, why would you take care of yourself? I think is what he was trying to get at. Mm. Yeah. I think that's pretty much exactly it. First of all, I want to say I think it's interesting how there's this dichotomy between either an evolutionary creation of the world and a faithful religious creation of the world. Uh, Jordan Peterson really combines both of them and says that together they explain each other more and give each other valid validity, which I think is super unique. Um, But going back to the question... He talks about this after he talks about the fact that we'll give medication to our dog and not ourselves. He goes into this whole story about Adam and Eve um, because it shows us that we punish ourselves by not taking the medication because of the subconscious things that we know we're at fault for. And it all goes back Mm. to Adam and Eve where where they first became conscious and then it happens to do with their sins and everything that is wrong with the human, we innately know that we are wrong for. So we feel like we're not worthy. Yeah, I think the most interesting part about it is he brings up yin and yang. And I really never knew what yin and yang were. Like you Mm -hmm. hear about it all the time, but it's two serpents, one representing order, one representing chaos. And the paradoxical nature of it's two sides of the same coin. It's the presence of, if you have, order you have to have chaos and i think it just shows that in any situation from how you view it it could be good or it could be bad and even when there's good there's bad Mm -hmm. so they always follow one another and it's always cyclical so i think it's really applicable to what life is there's always going to be order there's always going to be times of good and there's always going to be chaos so there's always going to be times of bad mm-hmm. it seems like in life there's always good times followed by bad times in a repetitive nature where it's one after the other and somewhat of a cycle yeah even the really rich people of the world always say there's always a rainy day so let me ask you this what do you think prevails more good or bad in what sense good or bad times it's a cyclical nature but do you think people have more good times or bad times in their life i think it depends what you focus on i think it can be like equal um obviously it's going to be different for everyone but i think in a grand scheme of things it's going to kind of average out but if you focus on more one more one than the other you're going to have more good times than bad times or vice versa yeah i'd like to interject there and say he specifically talks about if someone's in a really happy state which is super rare because they have nothing going on in their life, 
they know someone who's in a horrible position or down bad. Mm -hmm. So chaos always seems to prevail. And it kind of makes sense because if you think about thermodynamics, entropy, Mm -hmm. entropy is favored by the universe. If you have an increasing entropy, that means more disorder, more chaos. And I think it can relate to a lot of things of why maybe rules don't work and people like to break rules organization and why people don't like to conform i think it goes with a lot of things and it just shows how chaos will always be the outcome of a lot of situations yeah and then going back to like chaos and order i think one good thing that he says to sum it up is when you are kind of in the middle ground between chaos and order you're struggling with both of them um you're afraid to tell the truth and you just like live in a lie the whole time and he talks about how Mm -hmm. After the situation, God goes out for an um, evening stroll, and Adam was not there, and he normally met up with Adam. He's like, where are you? And he was hiding in a bush because he realized he was naked because now he un- now he can see differently um, after committing the first sin. And he says, I heard you, but I was naked, and I hid. And now he's afraid to live his truth. He's afraid to tell the truth. Um, I think it goes back to with people not taking care of themselves, people not taking pills because... Um, they're uh, they're living in a lie and they're not afraid to encounter what's really wrong with them and um see what what's wrong what's wrong with the chaos and how to address that yeah definitely do you think maybe that has some application to now where people are maybe scared to deal with what they've went through in the past which stops them from being able to fully take advantage now yeah i mean i think he even mentions in the chapter at some point that like you think you know other people, but you live with yourself every day. Like, you know yourself the best out of everyone. Like, I might hate you because you did something to me, but that's one little fraction of your life. I might have done something 10 times worse than that. I might have done that 10 different times in my life. And I have to live with that because I know that. Like, I'm the only one that knows that. So I think that's just where it's rooted all that people don't care about themselves because they know what wrong they've done. Like, they know exactly the good, the bad, the ugly that they've done in their life. And it's hard to live with that because how can you forgive yourself at some point? Or how can you say I'm worthy of this because I did that? Um, So I think that's where people really struggle to move on from and actually take care of themselves. It's almost like the facade that a lot of people put on. They're living up to expectations of the people because they've already disappointed themselves so much that it's already let go. Mm -hmm. Where now the only hope they have is to not let down someone else. It relates to, let's just say, waking up in the morning. If you tell yourself you're going to wake up, do you do it for you or do you do it for the people around you because you said you would? That's why a lot of people need accountability accountability partners because they're not enough for themselves to have that discipline or yeah, just to do it for themselves. Yeah, and as you're saying, that makes me think of like in the gym, like we can all relate to this working out when you're like growing like you're going through working out maybe it's the first time like the first few years of really growing muscle someone might say to you like oh your arms look good and they might have grown in size like that's a compliment but it's natural for you to say like oh yeah they're not great right now because Mm -hmm. like you know who you used to be you know you used to be skinny or maybe you were fat and you're like oh my my abs aren't there like thanks but not really I think people like struggle to take compliments because they know who they once were. And even if there is progress, they still see that last person. Yeah, I think part of that is due to your expectations. So I think it was in the power of now that we read 
the reason, or maybe it wasn't, maybe I heard it on a podcast somewhere, is the reason a lot of people are sad and unhappy is because their expectations are too high and the difference between what they expect and the reality is too big. Mm-hmm. So their expectations are way too far in the future versus what they have now. So what they have now seems far inferior to what could be achieved in the future. So I guess a way to combat that is just have really low expectations. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Live in the now and don't let the future be your savior. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a better way. By yeah. Edgar Toll or Eckert. Mm-hmm. Um, Peterson like really centers his message around like men. Like this book is really for men, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but good lessons for everyone. And like going back to the first rule that we talked about is like the lobsters. When you get more successful, you have more opportunities. There's more chance to mate. Like he he introduces the role of the female in all of this. And in this chapter talks about how primarily females kind of control the way men see themselves because the females are the ones that say, no, I don't want to date you. No, I don't want this with you. Like um, we won't reproduce. Like they are the ones that kind of hold the key to a lot of men. That's what puts you in a bad situation sometimes. Um, So what do you guys think about all of that? Like he ties it back to Adam and Eve ties it into modern day society if you get rejected by a female um any big takeaways from that part this book has a lot of ties to nature and natural selection and ultimately the female holds the key to the next generation Mm -hmm. and contrary to what some people think right yeah i mean i mean they're (laughs) they're the ones that can give birth hey man tell that to the dudes getting pregnant out there (laughs) If they chose not to give birth, we would not have a next generation. Mm-hmm. Science could not fix that. Yeah. Um, unless they took their eggs. But do you think biologically or just historically it shows the implications of gender roles? Which is contrary to what is going on now in society? Um, I don't know about gender roles. I think it just ties into like validation like what men seek for validation like there's no gender role really as far as like jobs as far as this but i think it's more so like for a man to value himself and to take that next step into a purposeful life like he desires the validation of a woman and if he doesn't have that that has a serious mental toll and he might not take care of himself as much as he should be. Yeah, definitely. But what I'm, and I, I, and I really do agree with that. What I'm saying in this book, it just seems like the male is the dominating, right? The dominating counterpart in that, in that union and the females almost there as a support. I'm not saying like, do you agree with like now what gender roles should be? But do you think it shows like what gender roles used to be and how, and how they, biblically, biblically speaking, is a role to be filled by, to be fulfilled by either counterpart. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still prevalent today. Like, as far as people want to get away from that, and that's okay. Like, obviously, like more power to them. But today, like men are still the protectors most of the time. I would still say a majority, like men, are the providers of the family. Um, it still carries a lot of weight. And I think that's the expectation a lot of people have. Yeah, I think this book has a lot of relation and connection from society today to what is discussed in the book of Genesis. 
I think something interesting that we haven't brought up yet with this altruism is he said maybe we see this we see this so prevalent in Western cultures and Western Christian cultures because it's the whole premise of Christianity. Jesus died on the cross for everyone, mm-hmm. right? That is the ultimate definition of altruism. He gave his life so that everyone in the world would be free of their sins. Kind did you book. guys pick up on that, though? Yeah. I yeah, did. I mean, I, I definitely picked up on that. I think it would be interesting to see, like, how other cultures are run, other mm-hmm. societies, like, more on the East. Like, what is it like in Asia? Like, what are the differences there? Because, like, obviously, we just grew up here. That's all we know. Um, but it would be interesting to see how gender roles or the hierarchy is different in different societies. Yeah. Speaking of Asia, he talked about Hinduism, um, Jewish, Judaism, the star of David, the top arrow signifying male, the bottom one pointing down signifying female. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with the serpents in Hinduism. Mm -hmm. They shows these male and female deities that kind of go along with roles of Gender. gender yeah, yeah. That, that's what i'm saying i think a lot of it was like gender based and gender role and gender identity and what role the woman and what role the male is supposed to be playing or not supposed to be playing i don't want to say it like that um but in in these different ideologies what roles they have been fulfilled in the past mm-hmm. so i thought it was an interesting point to bring up the gender roles and how that can tie into now. All right, so what do you guys think, going back to the first example about taking the pills and taking care of your dog, what do you think it would take for you, you can answer this on a personal level or a society level, for more people to, quote-unquote, take the pills, take care of themselves? I think a lot of it has to do with caring for yourself and the want to care for yourself, the want for you to be the best you can be and be someone you want to care for. I remember, I I don't know what I was watching. It might have been Jay Shetty when he said that he'll go out to eat because he actually enjoys the company that he's with himself. He enjoys being by himself and it's like being with a friend. Mm-hmm. Like if you can look at yourself as someone that you see as a friend, some someone that you genuinely care for, not someone who you would look back on and reflect on all the mistakes you've had on, on all the mistakes you've had. When you can look at someone on a per look at yourself as an actual person for the good and the potential, then I think that will really take the next step to make you take the pill. Yeah, I think it just comes down to like that, like a lot of self acceptance and just kind of like having discovery with yourself. Like maybe this is something you want to have with yourself maybe it's some uh, something with like a friend or family member talking to them maybe it's a therapist maybe it's something in your church i don't know but having this like conversation with you or someone else about this is the weight that i carry with me like understand that i'm human in this life i will not be perfect like i come with mistakes and baggage and stuff but that's okay and like identify okay maybe this is an instance in my life that i messed up and i carry with me today why did that happen and just accept like okay Maybe it was because I was immature. Maybe I was around the wrong crowd. Maybe I, you know, was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, understand what that situation was, embrace it, accept it, and then try to move on. I think a lot of people 
when they read this, they might try to hide from the truth and be like, oh, I'm just going to take care of myself, but they don't address what happened before. Maybe there's something in middle school that haunts you today, and if you don't ever address that, it's still going to come back to you. But if you address it, get in front of it, try to put it into it, close that book, that's when you can actually heal and try to take care of yourself, in my opinion. Yeah, that's great. For as long as you'll see yourself as a negative person, you'll always be resentful to yourself and then feel as if you don't deserve to take that pill. So just like you said, that totally opened up my perspective to this question. The first step is to acknowledge what you've done wrong in your life and to realize everyone's been through that. I mean, that's why he talked about Genesis, the very creation of people. From the very first time people were set foot on this earth, they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just human nature, we're gonna do something wrong, and as soon as we can acknowledge that in ourselves, we can realize that we can be accepting of good things to come to us and not just other people. Mm -hmm. I do think that maybe we do also do good for other people because we internally believe that they deserve it because we don't know their flaws Mm -hmm. or the things that they've done wrong in their life. I agree with that. So we punish ourselves by not giving ourselves the best. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that. Like you think that someone's above you in any way because you just don't know them. Like you don't know the full story and, um, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing, but yeah, I definitely agree. Like people want to help others more because they think that they're more perfect than you yourself are. It's very subconscious, but mm-hmm. would you be willing to help someone that's less perfect than you? I feel like it's the same. You would do the same no matter what, regardless of who it is. Or would you disagree with that? Well, to be honest, I feel like that comes down to, let's just say, look at a homeless person. How many people would say, I'm not going to give them money because they got themselves in that position? You have a greater likelihood of saying that of someone who's a lower status than you than someone's of a higher status than you. But then there's also those people who say, I don't know what they went through to get to here. I believe that they are probably a good person, but still deep down, I don't know. Like, I know what I've done, so I'm still going to help them out. Yeah, I think a lot of people would fall into the ladder like if like a homeless person example i think a lot of people because it's a very real issue um like what if that was a veteran like they've done more for our country than i ever have and they're they're in this position that's worse than i am right now but they've made more of an impact than i have so it's very interesting like you could see them in this one situation like wow like i at least have somewhere to stay like i'm above them but that's one fraction of their life they could have been you know killing terrorists one day and like i don't know um they might have been a business owner they might have had a strong family who knows so i think we never know someone's below us i think Mm -hmm. yeah like homeless is a very extreme example but i think the assumption for the average person is always like they must be above us in some way i think i would say that's the assumption for everyone honestly no matter who they are if they're homeless or or a billionaire i think the assumption is You don't know what this person is, or for me at least, just because I think you should treat everyone the same. So I think I think the assumption is, regardless of what it is, I'm still as likely to help the homeless as I am the billionaire. And I think that would be true for a majority of people, for anyone who sees the homeless person and says that 
I don't know what they've been through in their life. I think the same's true. Mm-hmm. So he brings up in this chapter lessons from Carl Jung. He was a mm. psychologist, and he was the one that says, "Do unto others as you would do have them do unto you, or love your neighbors as yourself." Um, and Jordan was saying that this the first lesson is not about doing something nice, um, not really transactional. Basically, he's saying. If I'm someone's friend, family member, or lover, then I'm morally obliged to bargain as hard on my own behalf as they are on theirs. If I fail to do so, I will end up a slave, and the other person a tyrant. What good is that? It is much better for any relationship with both partners are strong. Furthermore, there is a little difference between standing up and speaking up for yourself when you are being nice, bullied, or otherwise tormented and enslaved, and standing up and speaking for someone else. As John points out, this means embracing and loving the sinner who is yourself as much as forgiving and aiding someone else who is stumbling and imperfect. So what I got from that was um, kind of like, obviously you want relationships to be back and forth. Um, you don't want someone to be like ruling over you and giving too much or you giving too little. But also I love the way that he says like, it takes as much effort to stand up for yourself as it does for you to stand up for someone else. Like we always encounter situations where we kind of like bite our tongue or we don't want to say something, say the truth because we're not comfortable with doing that ourselves. But then if someone else is struggling, we always want to step forward and be like, no, don't do that. Don't say that about that person. Like we always stand up for them, but it takes the same effort. Like why not stand up for yourself um, and embrace who you are just as you embrace who someone else is. Yeah, Carl Jung was a a very revolutionary psychologist to the field. And I actually did highlight that quote in my book. And I thought the most interesting part of that was if there's just a shift in any type of power dynamic, that one person becomes the ruler and the other one becomes the enslaved under the ruler. And I thought that was so interesting because it just shows what I think is human nature and our tendency for greed. Mm-hmm. If there's just any sort of of give in one way where you get that edge on somebody, you take that to the max. Yeah. And that was seen in, what was it, the Stanford Prison Experiment, mm-hmm. where they just randomly assigned some people guards and some people prisoners, if you don't know what that is, and the guards treated the prisoners like animals and they were just random people from the street who got randomly assigned to a role. But since they were the guards, the power went to their head and they had to stop the experiment because they got too dehumanizing for the prisoners. It just shows that human nature. I really don't think is all that good. I think there's good and bad, but I think our greed for power is a giant downfall in humanity. Another one that came to mind when you explained that, um, I'm a big Office fan. There's a scene in the Office before where Dwight and Andy go throughout their day um, working in the office, and they're like, oh, here's this. And then they're like, oh, thank you. It's like, oh, no worries. You'll just owe me. And then back and forth, the other one would do it. Like, oh, you'll just owe me. And there's like this power dynamic. Like one person would one up the other and just say like, oh, you'll owe me for when they actually need it. Like now you're indebted to that person. I thought it was like super interesting. I never thought of it that way. Like, that's how most relationships are. Like you'll do, you'll go the extra mile for someone. And even if you want to be nice, most people will think like they kind of owe me now. Like yep. I, they're, mm-hmm. I'm ahead of them. And like, if they don't return that now, they're a bad person. Like something as simple as like wishing someone happy birthday. They don't say it back to you. Like, Oh, 
fuck that dude. Like, I'm not talking to him anymore. You know, like, it's just like something simple like that. And it's almost like, yeah, like, this is part of our society, part of our, our relationships, but also like, maybe kind of refigure what kind of relationships you're in with people. If they're not mutually be- mutually beneficial, if they're not something that people are kind of on the same level, and either you're giving too much or you're giving way too little, like maybe that's not helping anyone and you should just move on from that person um and kind of have more of a give and take type of relationship yeah and i think this kind of will go well with what you just said is you expect what other people do do for you so if you do something you expect it back yeah um not necessarily all the time but sometimes like if you give money to a homeless person I would hope you don't expect that back or I would hope you don't expect anything in return for it. But like in terms of gifts, mm-hmm. you say you're going to give someone a gift. So you give them a gift. They're like, oh, now I have to get you a gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a gift. It's an exchange mm-hmm. or a transaction because you did something for them. Now they have to do something for you. Otherwise, they feel indebted to you. Yep. And that's what I find really interesting about gifts because if I get someone a gift, like, I don't want to tell them I'm going to get them a gift. Because if I get you a gift, like, I want to get you a gift. Like, I don't want you to feel like you have to pay me back for a gift. Because that's not the way it should be. But I think it's very interesting how if someone does something nice for you, then you feel like you have to do something back so you can owe it and make it even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even with the homeless person example, sometimes people give it away and be like, well, it's going to come back to me. I'm going to get good karma sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, because they already gave something, they're kind of already expecting something back. Good. Final thoughts on the book, on the chapter as a whole? What I think are we learned, thinking thus far? I think I learned a lot from this one. Um, just how you could be more mindful on a daily... Like, this is super simple. On a daily basis, be more mindful of taking care of yourself and seeing it from, like, a different perspective. Like, I think now when something doesn't go right, or maybe when things are going well, like, think of it as... How would I respond to this if I was talking to a friend or family member? Like, how would I, what would I tell them about this? Um, and tell yourself the same thing. Do the, th- the same thing that you would tell them to do. I think that's my biggest takeaway. Ricky? First and foremost, I like, this is not like a biblical book, but I like how it was a biblical tie the entire chapter all the way through. I thought that was really cool. And similar to what Matt said, treat yourself how you would want to treat someone you want to help be someone who you want to take care of and be someone you want to see winning if you can't see yourself winning other people won't see you as winning so take the first step and believe in yourself yeah and going off that it's very common for a lot of these books a lot of self-help books to talk about the power of the subconscious This just shows me that if your subconscious is in the right place, things that you don't even think of, things that you can't even comprehend that you think of, you're going to externally put that energy in the environment and then good will come from it. Mm -hmm. You're going to start thinking of yourself more highly. You're going to start rewarding yourself because you think of yourself more highly. I think this just shows the power that once you take control to align your subconscious mind to your conscious mind whenever you can be one uniform person instead of you versus a voice in your head then that's when greatness will happen and it'll take you to the next level guys thank you for tuning in for rule two we'll be back when we talk about rule three